A little while ago, the BMJ published an analysis article called The Antibiotic Course Has Had Its Day, a provocative title that turned out to garner a lot of debate on our site. The article said that the convention for the length of a course of antibiotics was set by Fleming in his Nobel acceptance speech, if you use penicillin, use enough. And that the evidence base now hasn't moved on much. The article has had over 40 substantive responses, both agreeing and vehemently not. And so we thought it worth revisiting that argument. Now the dust has settled. I'm Duncan Jarvis, multimedia editor for the BMJ, and on the line I'm joined by Martin Llewellyn, who's a practicing infectious disease physician and professor of infectious diseases at Brighton and Sussex Medical School, and one of the authors of the article we are talking about. Uh, Martin, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And then, for another perspective, we're also joined by Paul Little, GP and Professor of Primary Care Research at the University of Southampton. Paul, thanks for, for talking to us. Yeah, you're most welcome. Um, okay, Martin, I think for a start, I mean, it, it'd be good to get people back up to date uh, with what the uh, sort of substantive argument um, that you made that c- caused this uh, furor. Uh, could you take us through what you said in your article there? Of course. Um, so the paper set out to challenge a, a long-standing and deeply held idea around antibiotic use, which is namely that if you're started on a course of antibiotics by your doctor and then don't complete that course, that this can cause antibiotic resistance. And we wanted to challenge this idea because we think it's becoming a barrier to achieving a, a very important goal, of course, which is to reduce the totality of medical antibiotic use. In terms of the arguments uh, we make, uh, first of all, we make the point really that there is no basis in, in, in theory or evidence really for the idea that prolonging antibiotic therapy beyond some, some particular point in, in time prevents resistance. While on the other hand, there's a pretty good basis in theory and evidence that the more antibiotics you give, the greater uh, the selection for resistance that you you exert. Uh, we make the point that most of the courses we currently recommend to patients aren't really adequately evidence-based in any case, and for many of the patients that we treat are probably longer than those individual patients need. And finally, we try and send a plea, really, that, that rather than thinking about antibiotic prescribing in terms of uh, syndrome-specific antibiotic courses, we think more in terms of the individual needs of the particular patient uh, who's being treated. Mm. Um, Paul, if we turn to you, I mean, you've researched the use of, of antibiotics in, in primary care. Um, what did you think when you read this article? Uh, did it chime with you? So it it chimes and it doesn't chime. To, to the extent to which it chimes, we do know that that in everyday practice, our patients often don't complete a course of antibiotics. Um, and so I think that the number of people who will come to harm by stopping when they're feeling better is probably limited, I would guess, because most people don't come to harm. I guess that the real problem is that, um, so there's two issues really. So the, the theoretical argument for um, having 
if you like, an antibiotic course until you feel better. It, it may well be that um, the, uh, the impact, the total impact on, if you like, antibiotic resistance is the same whether 100% of people have a short course or whether 50% of people have a full course and that would be the same amount of antibiotic. But I'm not sure that that argument has been proven in terms of the impact on antibiotic resistance. So it's a, that's a practical question, if you like. Um, it's a scientific question. To some extent, it can be answered by theory, but I think also we need uh, evidence as to whether that is actually the case or not. So there's a problem about the evidence base there. Um, there is good evidence that's pretty good evidence anyway, that short courses generally work pretty much as well as longer courses. There are a few exceptions. Um, so probably a short course of antibiotics for sore throat, for example, when it's down to three days, doesn't work as well as a seven day course. But a five day course probably does work similarly well. And there are a couple of other examples. So, but generally, I think the evidence would say that short courses work pretty much as well as long courses for the common things we see. Um, the obvious comment to make there is that long courses don't work particularly well either. For nearly all of the common conditions we see, unless somebody's very unwell, a long course might make the difference of, you know, a day or thereabouts in most of the infections we see. Um, so so the, the other disadvantage of prescribing any antibiotic is that when you prescribe the antibiotic, whether it's a short course or a course that people don't take fully, we know that just by prescribing and people starting to take an antibiotic, they will attribute them getting better to having had the antibiotic. Um, and therefore, the worry about um, saying, let's go to um, short courses or um, or if you like, a, a course that you say to people, stop when you're feeling better, is that you still may be medicalizing um, the whole business of why people come to see their doctor, uh, which creates a vicious circle um, in terms of people's expectations and their behavior. And that's one of the things we really need to change. So I, I think until it's proven otherwise, I would say that it's I mean, do know the medicalizing effect of prescribing antibiotics. Maybe it's slightly less if you haven't taken the whole course. I don't know. But um, we need to stop that cycle. And I think the the effective ways of stopping that cycle that we know about that are evidence based are either not to prescribe or to use a delayed prescription, delayed antibiotic prescription. So so I, I think there are gaps in the evidence here from from my understanding and pragmatically there are significant disadvantages to any antibiotic course. Um, so that, that was that was my sort of first first reaction, I guess. Yeah. I mean, um, in the paper, I think Martin puts forward that um, stopping you feeling better is a potential um, way that, that uh, doctors could talk to patients about their antibiotic courses, but does need research, not that it's uh, yeah. um, the proposed solution. Um, Martin, I mean, how seriously do you think uh were you when you you put that that um possible solution forward do you think that is a way that that this could could work or, or was it just one of a, a variety um of yeah. things that you think the, the, the latter really i mean we put it in to the discussion because it's a thing which has been quite explicitly said you mustn't do and uh but then you have 
Uh, for example, there's a nice trial published a couple of years ago in, in the Journal American Medical, Medical Association, which looked at community-acquired pneumonia, for example, and showed that you can use patient response to treatment in community-acquired pneumonia as a way of deciding whether you can stop antibiotics, or whether you need to continue them. And so that essentially is doing what uh, advice that says you mustn't stop when you feel better tells you you shouldn't do. And mm. so... It, it, it seems likely that there will be some situations where either a patient's subjective or an, an objective cl clinically measured response in some way can be used to decide a patient's need for antibiotics is, is over. But it's, one needs to be very cautious, as, as, as your question suggests. There may be some situations in which stopping when you feel better is far too soon. Uh, for example, if you have a deep focus of infection, which cannot has not been physically removed in some way where infection may persist, it's clear prolonged course of treatment may be, may be necessary. We know, for example, there may be other uh, syndromes. The one that comes to mind might be pyelonephritis, where patients often get prolonged symptoms. And so there may be some situations where actually one could stop treatment before a patient feels completely better. So it depends very much on the syndrome, what the definition of better is, and mm. clearly needs evidence. So we certainly weren't suggesting, as, has, as some of the media coverage has, has, has said, that, we, that patients should stop antibiotics when they feel better across the board. We were simply highlighting that this sort of flexibility needs to start coming into people's thinking. It seems that... You know, neither of you were actually that surprised uh, by this, and um, I suppose maybe that's that's not that that surprising, given that one of you is a professor of infectious disease, the other one hasn't studied the use of of antibiotics. Why is it, do you think, that we haven't looked at this so far? Why is it that the research is is lacking? It seems like a fairly fundamental bit of of primary care. Um, Every GP must prescribe antibiotics, you know, every day, and and yet there is this this big gap. Um, why do you think it is that that we, you know, that that still exists? I, I think to be fair, the, the gap isn't about how much antibiotics benefit for symptom resolution. I think we've got a pretty good idea there for most infections. That the gap is, if you're going to prescribe an antibiotic, how long should you prescribe it for and there's there's reasonable evidence there um, where there isn't evidence is can you use the policy of um, if you're feeling a little bit better um, after about four or five days let's say for a chest infection you don't need to continue the course we don't know what the implications of that that policy are and there might be several implications it might be that actually people get worse after that although I suspect not many will get worse. It might be that because their symptoms are ongoing, even though uh, they're not going to benefit from, from the antibiotics anymore, they're still nervous about it and are more likely to go back and see the GP. And obviously that wouldn't be great in the current press environment. So, um, so there's all sorts of particular questions about that particular strategy. I don't think there's a huge dearth of evidence about... Um, how much difference antibiotics make for the individual clinical syndromes that we see in, in general practice. There is a lack of evidence or limited evidence about who, because patients are particularly worried about, you know, nasty things happening to them as they should be and as doctors are uh, rightly worried about that. So there's less evidence about can we predict the people who will do badly um, 
you know, following an infection in primary care if you decided not to treat them. Um, we we don't have as much information there, but but we're getting um, progressively more information. There's been two, three large cohorts in primary care now, so some of those evidence gaps are being filled. But I don't think there's a major evidence gap about the impact of antibiotic courses on the symptoms and symptom resolution for the common infections we see. Um. Martin, would you agree with that, or, or, or do you have a different perspective? No, I, I, do, I, I do agree with that. I think the question, the, the, the issues are around duration of, of therapy. How long does someone actually need once treatment has, has, has started? And I think that partly has come about because these durations were set by historical precedent and then have been nibbled away at over the years. And it doesn't really ever get to the what for me is the fundamental question is how do you know when the individual patient has had enough antibiotics uh, so one of the one of the papers that we cite in the article is a, a study that was published i think last year in the new england journal which looked at uh, short versus long duration of antibiotic therapy for hepatitis media and concluded that the the uh, short duration of therapy the five day course of therapy was not non-inferior to standard 10-day uh, 10-day duration therapy, and the problem that I have with that sort of study really is that it, if you look in the in the data, the uh, short therapy group, the children who got five days, still the majority of those children met the uh, endpoints for having had treatment success. And so if we interpret these non-inferiority trials uh, very conservatively as sticking to established uh, longer durations, we end up over-treating uh, quite a lot of patients. And what we really need is a better understanding of which patients can be treated for shorter periods of time and when an individual patient, whether it be their symptoms, whether it be some, some biomarker you might measure, is safe to stop treatment. They've actually had the optimal minimum duration, if you like. If we sort of move on a little bit, uh, Martin, the reaction to your paper when it went online um, was was varied. Some people saying, absolutely, this is, uh, you know, I've thought this for a while, we, we definitely need to start discussing this. Um, other people saying that this is uh, confusing for patients and it might lead to, to people not um, following advice as it currently stands. What did you think about the the response uh, that you that you've seen? Was that something that you worried about when you were actually writing this paper? So I think we were those of us who were involved in, in in writing the article were all surprised by the the extent of the response that we got. Bearing in mind, as we've been discussing, that a lot of the evidence that we were putting in here is is not not new, and there have been several previous analyses of this question reaching the same conclusions really over the years. I guess the timing at the moment with the high level of, of public concern about antibiotic resistance maybe means that it was it was picked up more than than, than we expected. Um, but we I think that we maybe didn't make sufficiently clear, although we I thought we made fairly clear that we are certainly not taking issue with current uh, public information messaging around antibiotic prescribing. So um, we are starting last week Public Health England's uh, Keep Antibiotics Working campaign. One of the, 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 the key uh, messages uh, around which is to take antibiotics as prescribed by your doctor. And that is 
obviously a very, very important message uh, because it's important that patients take antibiotics only when they're needed and have good advice about what dose and dose interval should be used uh, and so on. We were really just trying to make sure that that discussion should also include a conversation about when the individual patient's need for antibiotics may be up uh, and when someone should know when to stop. And so I think that uh, some of the messaging got lost slightly. Given that, there must be be lots of questions that patients are um, asking their, their doctors about this and the response from um, the RCGP was, as you say, just to, to continue um, taking uh, antibiotics as your doctor advises, um, which is uh, what we would echo here. Um, I think, though, the, some of the, the responses from doctors within um, within that was quite interesting. And there seemed to be a, a worry about, about patients, you know, misunderstanding or, or using this to uh, justify behaviour that they would actually already take. And I think, Paul, you've already mentioned this, but I'd like to, to pick up on it a little bit more, which is about um, how patients actually feel about antibiotic per, um, taking antibiotics. Uh, do you have any, any um, I don't know, uh, from your time as a GP or, or seeing research, um, do you know how... how acceptable patients find antibiotics um and and the question around medicalizing uh do you do, is that something that really concerns you uh, the question about medicalizing uh, absolutely does and um with the levels of prescribing we've got at the moment um and for the last um 10 years or so uh, you would expect patients to be heavily medicalised by the level of prescribing that is happening in, in primary care. Because, because we do know from uh, several trials that we've done that if you prescribe an immediate antibiotic as opposed to a no antibiotic or a delayed antibiotic, not only do you not get that much symptomatic benefit, um, in other words, you, you might get better in half a day or perhaps a, a day sooner in an illness that lasts between a week and three weeks, depending on particular infection. But that because you've had the antibiotic, you believe that the antibiotic has made a difference. And so if you look at patients' beliefs following being given either an immediate antibiotic or no, or a delayed antibiotic, it's very clear that those beliefs are changed by either not getting an antibiotic or being offered a delayed antibiotic prescription. And then if you follow people up, the people who have had the antibiotic immediately are much more likely to come the next time they have an infection. Mm. So we we know that from, um, from the trial evidence. Um, uh, we know it from obviously talking to patients. But I think patients have been, and my own experience in practice was to go to practice that wasn't a particularly high prescribing practice, but um, it changed dramatically. I mean, I was able to to, I think have a bit of influence on my my colleagues in practice over over 20 plus years and uh, patient expectations definitely changed as the practice changed its prescribing patterns and we know that from other data so um, Mark Ashworth has done some rather nice work looking at um, uh, the differences between practices once you take account of the the fact that they might have different patient populations what happens to them over time if they're high prescribing practices or lower prescribing practices? 
And clearly the higher prescribing practices make themselves a lot busier. And it's through this mechanism of um, creating expectations about antibiotics. So the real concern about prescribing an antibiotic is that it, it, it maintains this, fuels this cycle of expectation and belief in antibiotics um, and keeps us all busier than we need to be, doesn't really help patients that much and um, is obviously a very inefficient thing to do given the stresses on the health service. Mm-hmm. So the medicalization is a is an absolutely yeah. key thing. Can I, can I make a, a, a point in, in there? Of course, yes. I, I wouldn't want anyone to think that what we're suggesting uh, here is in any way an alternative uh, to what uh, what Paul is talking about. Uh, so, uh, in every way, acknowledge the importance of either not prescribing or delayed prescribing and, and the enormous benefits of that. And you know, the S Power report published, I think, just at the end of last week, has documented uh, significant declines in antibiotic. Uh, prescribing in primary care in the United Kingdom, which has substantially been achieved, I think, from the sort of strategies that, that Paul's talking about. But in secondary care, that's much more difficult because we are um, we're confronted with a much sicker patient population with expediencies of surviving sepsis, mm-hmm. which mean that you have to start broad-spectrum antibiotics within an hour um, in, in, in an increasingly large population of patients as, as people become more and more concerned about adequately treating sepsis. And so in secondary care, we have to apply the, the, the what the public health England calls start smart, then focus, which is the, the approach of going back and reviewing and ideally stopping prescriptions for antibiotics rapidly in the days after they've been started. And that's uh, very difficult in secondary care, but isn't something which we try in primary care at all at this stage because it's very difficult. So there's all sorts of, of, of very obvious but very significant mm. barriers to, to to doing that. So in a way, one of the points we're trying to raise in the article is, is, is just what is the scope for exploring that as a possibility? Which takes us on to then the, the research that needs to be done. So we've talked generally about what that might be, but do either of you have any sort of specific research projects, research questions that you would like to, to see answered? Paul? I think we've pretty much got consensus here, to be honest, so I, I hate to say that, but um, <laughs> I think the question is, as, as Martin has put it, n- not that we should be changing what we're doing as regards... Um, not starting or using a delayed antibiotic prescription, which should be the norm for most of the infections we see, but that when you do uh, prescribe an antibiotic, uh, hopefully which is uh, well indicated or for somebody that you're very worried about, um, can we devise ways of helping identify when enough of that course is is enough for each of the infections that we, we treat? So I, I think it's... Uh, I think that the message is a the research message, if you like, is is fairly fairly clear to to try and tease some of that out, and, and in primary care um, there is no reason why we we shouldn't be doing that. So I think there is a research question to be answered in primary care. Um, and is 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 anyone doing that? Are we are we actually um, putting money into to someone looking at that at the moment? Do you have any idea? Um, there's there there is there's no as far as I'm aware there's no uh, project that has been funded to do that in primary care. Uh, my 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 program board funded um, the the study that that Martin and 
um, colleagues have been working on in secondary care. Um, and and my funding board, for example, uh, uh, would be, um, I think, a suitable funding board for the, the kind of project that we're, we're proposing. Um, there are other funding boards that will be coming through on antibiotics and antibiotic stewardship. Um, I mean, this is a this is a central topic. It's a high level public health priority. So, but but all of the other funding boards in the NIHR would also um, uh, be suitable vehicles. Um, for example, to particularly look at the impact on the microbiota um, of different strategies um, would be something probably more suited um, to one of the more upstream funding boards like um, the EMI funding board. But the point is that this is a, re this, this is a researchable question. It applies in primary care. Um, it's obviously a different context. You would have to have different man management strategies. Um, uh, but the, the, the essential issue of teasing out how long a course should be once you've started it and um, and providing GPs ultimately with some practical advice about how to do that is a very researchable question. Mm. And and um, I think would, um, would I hope, receive a, a <laughs> favourable look in at uh, NIHR funding board. Well, there you go, some some inside advice there. Um, Martin, how about you? Do you have any uh, anything else that you, you think is any other specifics that you would like to, to look at or find out about? I suppose I simply add to Paul's points that we, as he mentioned, we, we, we have, there is one project going on in the NHS which is looking at how to stop antibiotics earlier safely in hospitalized patients. This is a project called Antibiotic Review Kit or ARC Hospital and attempts to make work the start smart then focus advice that I referred to earlier because the S-Power data I referred to earlier suggests that hospitals are not doing nearly as well as GPs in terms of reducing antibiotic use. So, so ARC is really around changing behavior of doctors in hospitals and I think that any attempt to extend these sort of approaches into primary care would have to uh, look very carefully at the, the, the impact on, on behaviour both of doctors and patients, the feasibility, the logistics, the costs of doing of, of doing these things because it's very challenging. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last point, um, Paul, to, to round us up, um, I mean, you talked about medicalisation um, and, and the use of antibiotics being a problem there because it sets up patient uh, expectation. Um, now, that's something that has managed to be quite successfully countered in primary care with things like delayed start uh, antibiotics. Um, and I just wondered if you had any thoughts on um, on how that could work uh, to, to for the course as well. Yes, I think the biggest impact is likely to be either not starting or a delayed prescription. But you... You can imagine that that if if you've been given uh, sensible advice that um, let's say after a few days and you're starting to feel a, a little bit better and your your fever is either settled or or gone, you can safely stop your antibiotic course. But you still have some symptoms. You can quite imagine that that m might actually be helpful in in demedicalizing the illness because people would then have confidence that their body was actually going to throw off this thing despite them having symptoms and therefore the next time they got symptoms um, 
they might uh, delay going to the doctor to see uh, whether the symptoms will settle by themselves. So you can imagine it might have an effect on medicalization, but but I would have thought um, the biggest impact will be um, not prescribing or a delayed prescription because by not prescribing or a delayed prescription, right at the peak of people's illness, you're you're giving patients, if you like, the message, look, I really do think this is going to, to get better. They're experiencing these symptoms and a doctor has told them they don't need antibiotics or certainly don't need them now. Um, so, but you can research this issue. You can look at the beliefs of patients in, in these different um, scenarios. So it's a researchable question how, how medicalizing um, different strategies, uh, either to, to carry on with a longer course once you've started or to find a way of tailoring to a shorter course, uh, you can investigate those things. Mm. Uh, they are, what we're talking about though are, as Martin says, we're talking about um, changes in behaviours of doctors so that they can be convincing and, and, and helpful um, for patients, but we're also talking about ha helping patients change their behaviours and expectations. I mean, this is something we have to work on uh, for both the public and, and in the medical profession. Mm. Uh, well, there we go. Um, at the end of that, two two research questions uh, that people should be looking at. Um, Martin, Paul, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me this afternoon. Thank you very much. You're most welcome. You've been listening to Martin Llewellyn and Paul Little update us on the evidence for a length of a course of antibiotics. That's all for this podcast. If you want more, check us out on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. We're in most places now. There you'll find hundreds of podcasts, all available for free. If you want even more, you can get our full back catalogue on bmj.com slash podcasts. That's all for this episode. We'll be back soon with more. Thanks for listening. <laughs>